Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, so with that said, yes, it, indeed, it is our goal to make a difference. Uh, we have a, a very important show today. Um, uh, we have a um, state outreach coordinator uh, that we are featuring in a very special um, family. Um, we do this show as a public service, and I want to let you know that it is available to all Q out. Uh, state outreach coordinators, if they so choose. I think it is a good vehicle, and we're so glad to feature Lisa Valentino today um, to speak about her sister, Allison Jackson Foy, and we will bring Lisa on in just a moment, but want to say uh, good morning to Delilah. It's nice to have you back as a co-pilot after two weeks, and uh, uh, thanks for being back with me. Good morning. It's it's great to be back as always. And uh, you're right. This is this is an important show on a many many levels. And I've known Lisa for a long time with working with Q. And I think you know she was probably one of the first people that I met. And her her sister's case just really touched me at that time, and and still has. And unfortunately, there has not been. Um, there has not been justice served in this case. So we're going to get into all of that later, but I would just like to let listeners know a little bit about Q center for missing persons of which we're all involved in. And we're all three state coordinators. Um, It's a nonprofit agency out of Wilmington, North Carolina that actually does boots on the ground searches, many very, very complicated searches for missing persons. Um, I, do have to say that they're one of the what I feel one of the few organizations like this who who don't pass judgment on missing persons every missing person is important no matter who they are what they've done who they know what their lifestyle is like it doesn't matter Um, those cases everyone is just as important as the other but in order to do these things um there's always something going on to raise money because the families are not charged for these searches. They're very expensive to do to work on the cases is expensive to run any nonprofit is expensive. Um, But there are several fundraising events that we have all gotten together on. Um, There is Lisa has set up actually a GoFundMe, which will celebrate Monica Kaysen's birthday, which is August 24th, the same day as mine, by the way. And then I yes. also made a Facebook <laughs> event to to gather a hundred people to to donate twenty four dollars. Um, to celebrate the 24th and, you know, it's doing pretty well. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what, what Lisa's um, GoFundMe, I haven't checked it lately and I, but I think it's doing very well too. So we're always 
always looking for people who are interested in this issue, who are maybe outside the realm of a family or or someone already involved that the general public or a big fat benefactor would be great to step up and help us fund this organization so we can continue um, to do the services that we do. Yes, absolutely. And I, I agree with everything you say. And I think the first statement you made with regard to this organization, you know, being, you know, stepping up to the plate and, and giving 110% and being non-judgmental regardless of who is missing is so important. If we could, if we could emulate that, all of us in society, I think we'd have, we'd have a much better populace. Um, well, one so other I, thing I want to bring up before uh-huh. we get into this t- any further okay. is the fact that something that you personally have done, and you are a co-author of one of the Grief Diaries books. Um, the uh, Grief Diaries has printed or published a whole series of books on how to deal with particular loss um, and yours is survive, Surviving Loss by Homicide, which a lot yeah. of other authors got together to tell their story in a really, really cool format. I, I was very pleased to see the format when the book came out. But I guess the most important thing I want listeners to know is that a percentage of every book sold of Surviving Loss by Homicide, a donation goes to Q Center for Missing Persons. And I think that's very generous of you and very generous of the publisher to do this. Well, thank you. And I, again, it's a labor of love and it's, it's still another way that, that we can give back and, you know, um, and it helps other people because people going through homicide uh, and people going through missing persons, um, of which there hopefully will be a future book in this series, which will be very valuable, and we're hoping that Monica will also uh, be able to participate in that. It's, it is so um, it is so very important, and we just I just had a very successful event this past Tuesday night, and I'm hoping. So please, please tell people out there to uh, purchase and to to read it. It can be purchased on Amazon. And do write a review because that, that also helps as well. So maybe we'd, uh, we'd like to have Lisa come on, and you could start off right off the bat to tell, you, tell us a little more about your event, Lisa. Welcome to Shattered Life's radio. We're honored to have you as, as a guest and part of our family on this radio show. Well, I'm honored to be here, and thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for having me. Uh, our, our go. Thank you. Our our GoFundMe page um, is is uh, called Project Left Behind, and uh, really, what it is is um, one of the things that people always ask me is, what really is it that Q Center? What is it that they really do? And it's very easy to speak about it, as you've just said, but one of the things that Monica and I have bantered around and talked about was actually, you know, giving people a real-time, real-life experience of what actually happens on a search, at a conference, on the road tour, and um, putting that up and out there for people to see. And in order to do that, we need some decent um, equipment. And so, my project this year, this time around, is very simple. It's trying to raise $1,600 to purchase the equipment that we would need to actually 
have people film on searches and all of that and put it out there online and in the public eye for people to see so that when they're going to donate, they could see a little bit more of where their money goes. Um, I know for me, uh, when I give to a charity now, I don't know any other charity like you where nobody gets paid. You know, a lot of nonprofits, um, people get paid to, you know, to sit on the board or rather, you know, run the everyday um, operation of the organization. And nobody at Q receives a salary, including Monica, at all. So all of the monies that you donate go directly, um, like Delilah was saying, for the search, you know, and Mm -hmm. and for anything else. And so uh, you can go to that GoFundMe, and it's, it's called Project Left Behind. And even Delilah, your $24, I mean, that's an awesome thing to do as well. Um, you know, it's certain people who can't get out there and physically search or maybe be a state coordinator, if you do have a dollar, $2, whatever it is laying around, I always say every little bit helps. Absolutely. So, no, that's very interesting, and it, it will be good when it comes to fruition because you, it's almost like being there on the spot, right? Exactly, exactly, and that's, you know, and that's our hope that we could get out there and really show people what actually does happen. So, and, you know, it's a good thing for the organization to have for training and for all kinds of other things um, today in the field and in and around, especially for things like the conference and the road tour, to have somebody there who could film all that and be present and not have to go outside of the organization would just be a really good thing. Right. Well, well, we, we wish you well with that endeavor. Delilah, we wish you well with, with yours. And um, I'm hoping to sell a bunch more books as well. So we've got yeah. a lot of good things going on. It's like we don't have the ability to give to everything, but, but we're giving you a, a take-your-pick opportunity here, everyone. And we're hoping that even if people aren't invested in missing persons or homicides necessarily, one of these things – they will key into and say, oh, I really like that. I'm going to do that. So let's do that. Let's pass this podcast around so we can get more uh, buckaroos, as they say. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but if I were to um, write a blog about this show, when we talked about doing this, Delilah and Lisa, it's, I, I, I kind of framed it on Facebook as there's a time for patience and there's a time for progress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what – that's what this this show is going to encompass in that it has been, um, you know, it's been 10 years since the tragic passing of, of, of your sister, Allison, from uh, July 30th, 2006. And I think you've been very patient with the system and doing everything in your power to try to help push things forward. So um, I think, you know, before we get into where things stand right now, it's always good to to take a look back. And particularly, I think photos really say, say something. So before I have you give an overview, we put up the photo of you and your dad and Monica. And uh, unfortunately, I want to, you know, again say we're, we're still very sorry about the passing of your dad. Thank you. Because he was so invested and having this come to fruition, and I know it's just a heartbreaker, but I think you're carrying on because of him and because you wanted to see this. Can you tell us the photo that we have with you and you and Monica 
uh, putting your hands on your dad's shoulder. What was that about? And then maybe bring us back and give us an overview. Sure. So that photo was taken, and you're jogging my memory, but it's got to be at least probably three or four years ago. Um, every year on, on the anniversary and or around, we've tried to do some type of awareness to remind people locally in Wilmington that this is still an unsolved homicide um, and that answers are still needed. Um, and so that particular photo, the Q Center had gotten um, one of the lo- a billboard, which was electronic, to donate um, specific space and time for Allison and Angela Rothen, the other young lady who um, was found next to Allison, who went missing a year after Allison. Um, their, their poster up on a big billboard um, saying that, you know, this is an unsolved homicide. Here's the phone numbers to call if you have any information. And so that moment we were standing in front of the billboard with press and with law enforcement, and that moment where we're, um, our hands are on my dad's back is when the billboard went live. And my father was a very stoic man. He had a heart of gold. But the minute that billboard went live, he, he lost it. And it was a, so it was just very – and I did, actually, too, even though, you know, she had been recovered and – you know, this was a while into the process, so that's that's what you're seeing in that photo. Wow! It it just says it just says a million words, and it it says everything about what what Q stands for. So just yes, wanted you to be able to to the, the power of photographs. You know, um, well let's um, let's take us back for an overview with regard to the circumstances, in case some of our listeners are not aware. Can you give us, you know, an overview of what actually happened with Allison? Sure, sure. So uh, my sister was 34 years old at the time she went missing. She had two young children at the time, uh, two girls. uh, They were 12 and 4. She had been struggling in her life a little bit, um, just to give you a little background on her, but I believe she was coming out of that and making some decisions and on her way to doing better. She had just uh, started a new job um, as assistant manager of the Holiday Inn um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my family is all back here in New Jersey and New York and Long Island. But she had moved to Wilmington to try to uh, better her life a little bit. Um, and so she had gone out um, after her shift, after working at the hotel, to celebrate her new job with a friend, and she went to a place called um, Junction Pub and Billiards, which is on Carolina Beach Road in Wilmington, and she had had a couple glasses of wine, and her friend had said to her, you know what, it's really not a good idea for you to drive home, you know, let's call you a cab. So really trying to be responsible and do the right thing, um, her friend asked uh, the bartender to call a taxi, and from all accounts, what we believe to be true is a little bit later on, um, five minutes later, a cab driver walked in, which is unusual to begin with, and said, did somebody call a cab? And my sister's friend, Chris, said, yeah, we did. And Allison walked outside the bar, and that was the last that she was ever seen. Um, two and a half and years. And nobody escorted her outside, you know, to get into the cab, right? She went by herself. That is correct. And we have heard conflicting stories because, of course, you know, how that happens. You know, some people said, oh, we saw her sitting outside crying on the curb. 
but everything over these past 10 years that we've come to believe and believe as the truth is that she, we, we do believe that she got in a, a cat. Yes. Okay. And nobody stopped her and right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, the last time that you spoke with her, I was reading, is this correct? That you, you were, you were uh, holding a birthday party and it was kind of a brief conversation and you said, well, you know, I'll kind of talk to you later, and is is, is that right? And yes, describe yes. what what her mood was in that sure. last interaction you had with her. Donna, my my family and I are very close. We're a very close knit family. There were four of us growing up. Allison was the youngest of four. Um, every year, my brothers and sisters and I take an annual trip somewhere with our families. At that time, one of the places we had been going to a lot was New Hampshire to go hiking in the White Mountains. We rent a house, et cetera. So my daughter's birthday, Emily, usually falls on that week that we leave to go. And so the day actually, right, the last time I spoke to her was that, was that Saturday morning. She had called to um, wish uh, Emily a happy birthday, and I had said to her, you know what, Allison, I have tons of people waiting you know, about to come to my house here. I'm trying to get everything set up. Um, she had told me about her new job. Um, I said to her, oh, that's great. I'm so happy for you. I said, um, I, I let her talk to Emily. I said, I really, I can't talk to you right now, but I'll give you a call back later uh, in the week. And and that phone call, which was the last time that I spoke to her, um, had come after June, her coming here with her younger daughter and spending a week with me. So, that was the last time, yes, that I that I spoke to her. Now, do you have regrets about that conversation? Like, oh, if only I had a few more minutes with her, or do you feel like um, it was a good conversation, but for you know the circumstances of what happened later, we all go back and say, if only, Lisa. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't. I don't think I have regrets about that last conversation because another thing that I always do in my family is I always end every conversation with I love you so uh-huh. and we had had a good visit when she was here in June I think what I do have regrets about and it has taken me these 10 years to kind of figure it out and with the help of other people and actually this is something that I've spoken uh, with Monica about a lot um, is I think I have regrets that in her life when she was having issues and problems even though I was there for her, and um, I, I, I believe instead of telling her, like, oh, what are you doing, or, you know, it's time to change, or things like that, I, I wish that I had been a little bit more encouraging. So I think those are the regrets that I have. She knew I loved her. We were very mm-hmm. close, but I wish, I wish I had been a little bit more encouraging uh, to her instead of, uh, more saying, what are you doing and why, you know what I mean? So those mm-hmm. are the I have. Confronting her with certain things she was dealing with, maybe she wasn't ready or what have right. you. And, and you well, know, I think I always, I always said to her things like, you know, you're an adult, you're an adult now, you have your own children, stop blaming, you know, your life on everybody else and your parents, you know, like we all tend to do. And really, I, I just wish I had been more su- supportive and more encouraging in, in, in that way, like you can get through this and so things of things of that nature. Right. But in hindsight, Lisa, but we all have that and look at what we're doing now. If she's looking down at, 
you you from heaven, wouldn't she be very proud of all the efforts that everyone is doing and, and what you're doing to help raise her children as well, correct? Yeah. yeah you know, look, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, she's proud of, of everything myself and my family have done. And, you know, really that's I, – I, I did it for her children. You know, I do it for myself and my family, but I do it for her too because, as Delilah said at the beginning of this, you know, there should never be any judgment on anybody. No matter what my sister did, good or bad, you know, um, no one deserves to have happened what happened to her. So right. she deserves justice. Um, we deserve final resolution. Her children deserve all that. Because the bottom line is she, she was a good, she really was. She had issues and problems like we all do, but she was a good woman. She had a great heart, and her, she loved her children. I know that's cliche, but really her two daughters were her life. Mm-hmm. Um, when she, you had said she moved from New Jersey, New York area to Wilmington, and that represented a new start in her life. I read that she was like a, like a, a, skilled, a skilled dancer. Is that right? Yes, uh, my dad um, owned a dance studio, a music and dance studio. He was he was a musician, um, so he, he played in bands and he taught um, piano and keyboards and things of that nature. But the other part of his business was he opened a dance studio too, along with um, teaching the music. And so we all grew up um, in that business, and we all were dancers. My older sister owns that studio today. Um, but Allison was a, an accomplished dancer and dance teacher and also gymnastics. And when she moved to Wellington, um, she continued coaching uh, gymnastics. And, in fact, today her daughter, Courtney, who um, graduated college in May, that's what Courtney does. She's a gymnastics coach and hopes to open her own business uh, one day. And she was a very accomplished gymnast in her own right as well. Wow, that that that's excellent. Um, I I remember you know meeting your children at at, at the Q conference and know just how very very talented they they are as well and very committed to the Q Center with the videos that 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 your daughter did for school and it's just it's it's wonderful to see how invested and supportive you know a family can become to the Q Center once they have that initial contact. And that's what we want people to, to hear because that is not, that that is not, I think it's pretty unique that families become a larger family of the Q Center once they become involved. And just, just initially, can you tell us some background with regard to what, what was done by the Q Center when they first became involved with this case? Sure. Uh, so like many families, um, when we got the call, which is a whole other story, um, that my sister was missing, which actually my father received a phone message on his answering machine from Wilmington. Uh, he did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, terrible. So, uh, you know, my father called us and, you know, immediately we were coming home from our vacation in New Hampshire and the three, all of us caravanning in our different cars were like, okay, we have to fly down to Wilmington. So we left all our kids um, at my sister-in-law Jackie's house, my brother's wife, and uh, we drove to where he lives in Delaware from New Hampshire, left all the children there. Um, you know, my husband was also there to help. I couldn't have done any of what I've done with 
without him allowing me to do all the trips and be here to take care of our children. Um, but we flew down, the four of us, my brother and sister and I and my dad, and we were in Wilmington initially for 10 days. Uh, law enforcement met us at the airport, and from the very beginning, their words to us were, she'll turn up, this is her MO, we've heard, you know, this, we'll find her somewhere, you know. And pretty much they said to us, this is what we know, here's some places where you can stay, if you want to, you know, hang up some flyers and whatnot, you know, um, and we'll be in contact. So, you know, we were in a town and a city we know nothing about. Uh, we started to try to track down the last place she was seen. We tried to make up posters. We were in areas late at night where we probably had no business being. Um, and one morning as we were in the hotel, my father, as he had a habit of doing, was talking um, with one of the desk clerks. And the girl was from Connecticut, so the tri-state area. And my father, she was asking, oh, are you here on vacation, blah, blah, blah. And so my father told her, no, you know, I have a missing daughter told her the story. We went out that day. We came back before dinner, and she had slipped underneath our hotel room door a note that said, I think this woman and this organization can help you, and it was Q Centers. Um, wow. That's how, you, that's how you got the introduction through a yes. note under the door? Yes. Yes. Wow. And, went, and, and we called Monica, and she called back immediately and met us the next morning at the hotel. And that was it. From the next 10 days that we were there, she was there with us every step of the way. And to this day, she and Q continue along the journey, even after Alice was found, to help us have a final resolution. That's that's incredible. Um, and it's so good. It, does it happen to be the same hotel where we we now have our conferences most of the time? Actually, it's not the same hotel where we have our conferences, but very small world, that hotel where the conferences are normally held is where Allison, that was her last place of employment where she got a job as assistant manager. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did you know that, Delilah? Wow. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know the story about how you came in contact with Q either. So learning uh, new things. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, that's, that's what this show is about. That's, that's wonderful that – you know, we kind of try to build a framework so that people understand. And it, with with every piece, I mean, it it, it just is is amazing about how relationships are built. And I think that's the magic of it. You know, it really, really is. With regard to what has happened over the years, can we um, uh, can you give us an idea about? What was what was the role of law enforcement, and you ultimately hired your own private detective, and then to kind of bring this up to date with regard to what what was done um, with the prosecutors in the Wilmington area, and what's what's going on currently? I mean, we have we have a bit of time; we have about thirty minutes, so we can kind of delve into this in a little more depth. How would you like to start with regard to that? Uh, okay. So, well, first of all, I, I, I will say that, um, so over the course of the two years that she was actually missing, because she was recovered in 2008 of April, although we did not have um, final DNA confirmation until September. So, April, May, June, July, August, September. So almost six months later, we waited. Um, 
I, I will say this. At the very beginning, we had a lot of problems with law enforcement, um, just simply for the fact um, that, like in many cases, they don't listen to the people who know the missing person the best. You know, from the get-go, I sat in that police office with law enforcement, and I, and I said to them, and my father too, you know, if Allison had just walked away and was leaving, she would have called us and said, I'm okay, this is where I'm going. I said, and, and she never would have left without taking her children. Never in a million years would she have left without taking her children. Every mother, every family of every mother seems to say that, and they don't listen, do they? You know, they don't. I will say, and I'll make this part of that um, quick, is that over the course of these 10 years, there have been people come and go on Allison's case, and some of them very quickly, and some of them because I uh, wrote letters and spoke with the chief and um, did all kinds of things because I wasn't happy or satisfied with with what was going on. So um, suffice to say that all these years later, we have an awesome detective on the case, Lee Odom, who I'm very happy with, who has done a lot of work, who is constantly in contact with me, and who has really done a good job. But it's taken a long time. In fact, some captains in Wilmington PD have been demoted. Um, there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of stuff. So, um, but what happened as far as the private investigators, because we weren't really that happy with law enforcement, and because my family and I had to return to our own homes, because we all have children of our own, jobs, et cetera, back in New Jersey and New York and Delaware, um, before we left, we had discussed getting a private investigator because we didn't feel confident um, leaving Wilmington without someone being there who was going to really work the case. And so through right, Monica... an advocate for you. Besides well, right, right, yeah. right, right. Just somebody who was going to really investigate and look at things for us. And so through Monica, we found Mark Benson, um, who did a super job, who was the right guy for the job and got a lot of information. And, um, and really, it's funny, uh, a lot of the information that he got, we had names. It's just funny how things work through, through the own investigation stuff that even that Monica, that Monica had done. And in fact, you know, the area where Allison and Angela were found, um, Monica probably would have found them within the next week or so because she was trying to get land consent to search where where they were ultimately found. And she had she was waiting for that when someone cutting through the woods there actually came across the two um, sets wow. of skeletal remains. So, um, so. You know, Mark at the time had had a radio show in Wilmington called Blue Line Radio, and through the process of that show and people knowing who he who he is, um, someone who had been a regular in the pub had uh, had emailed him and said, uh, "This gentleman's wife, and I, and I guess I can just say it, um, Tim Iannone, who who is who is a suspect in the case and who is still a suspect in the case." Um, had emailed Mark and said, people in the bar are going around talking about um, how Tim had something to do with Allison's murder, and it's just not true. That set off a series of emails and talks and a whole investigation into Mr. Iannone, um, who, is currently, who is currently in prison for um, a violation of parole and some other things. But he had had a past 
of uh, picking up prostitutes and beating them up and all kinds of other um, unsavory things. And so that's how his name even um, kind of came into the mix. And uh, we had found out that he, if you've seen the Dateline show at all, um, which Allison's case was featured on, um, right. they were, he was actually interviewed, he and his wife. Um, and she, in but, fact, uh, made the initial call to alert police, didn't she? To, to our private investigator. She reached out to He's, Mark saying, this isn't true. Why? My husband doesn't even know Allison. So that was how that whole process began, and that's how his name uh, came into the mix. But then when we went back and looked at our notes, because I spent a lot of time in Wilmington, and, and Monica and I did a lot of our own investigative stuff, calling cab companies, et cetera, and his name came up right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Is he an independent cabbie or somebody that is with a, a larger cab company? Are these independent contractors kind of a situation? I think how it works down there, at least how it did work at the time, was he worked for Port City Cab, and they were allowed to take their um, their cabs home with them. And so he was a regular at this pub that Allison was at, and his own private cell phone number was behind the bar. So when someone asked to, to get a cab, instead of, calling the cab company, sometimes they would just call his, excuse me, cell phone directly. And they and the bartender gets a cut of the fare or something like that, getting getting fares off the books? I mean, that fare would be off the books for the cab driver, correct, because he's not, he's, he's not working, you know, he's off. Not reporting. Yet. Right, right. It's not recorded, correct. Wow. And well, do you think this guy is is could be classified as a predator? It sounds like some of oh, the things that he did would would definitely fit the profile of a, to a sexual predator who who is preying on women, uh, whether they be prostitutes or whether they just be alone in a vulnerable situation. Very, very true. Um, he's definitely a sexual predator. I mean. As it as it turned out, and as Dateline showed, there was a, a woman who um, was a prostitute. Who this this is how we got more information. Mark had found this out. Um, who in the same area that Allison was found, he had taken her um, back behind the woods, and he had basically tied her up. And you know, I don't want to get into all the details, but what ended up happening was she escaped somehow, and you know, they arrested him. But because she was kind of, and she's better at this time, but the, the woman at the time had had a drug history and was on drugs, and she didn't show up at the court date, and so they released him as he pled guilty to crimes of nature. So, um, you well, know. Do you think there, it's, I mean, in speaking with police and investigators of this of this suspect, would you think that there are other victims out there? My feeling has always been, and um, we've talked to some experts on the subject, that there was two, you know, there was Allison and there was Angela, and I would have no, you know, I I have reason to believe that there are possibly more, and so do these other experts, but, you know. So he's a serial killer, potentially. Well, now that depends on your definition of serial killer, but, you know, there's a lot of unsolved homicides still 
in Wilmington, and a lot of them are of young ladies. And I really do hate to speculate, but I would say, in my honest opinion, it's not out of the realm of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Had had your sister made it, I mean, what what was her plan right then? I mean, I think the, the bar was closing. She, she, by all accounts, you know, um, had a bit too much to drink, but she was going to take this cab. She was going to go home after finishing her first day as a shift as the uh, manager, assistant manager, is that right, and returning home to her kids? Is that what, what was supposed to happen? I, I, I believe that she was, yes, that she was, that she was headed home. That's, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. And was she working like this is a new job, and she was working like the, uh, you know, three thirty to eleven shift or or morning shift I, at this job? Now, I think I think at that particular time she she had a later shift. I don't know if she left work. You know, a lot of it's very unclear. I don't know if she left. I think she left maybe at eight or nine o'clock. And I think From she might job? have stopped somewhere along the way, right? And then went to meet her friend, right? Okay. What what about, can you tell us a little bit about her friend? You said, Chris, this is a, a female or a male friend, and they were just good friends and someone to have a drink with kind of thing? I think uh, from all accounts, and I've, I've never met Chris, he was a male, but from all accounts, and he's been interviewed numerous times by law enforcement, by our private investigator, he was um, a confidant uh, to Allison. I mean, she had been struggling and going through a lot of issues in her marriage and whatnot, and this was simply a guy who was a friend and someone who would listen to her and someone who, you know, cared about her as a friend, uh, plain mm-hmm. and simple. And um, she, he was someone that she could talk to. And, you know, I guess she felt like she was finally going to be making some decisions in her life and she was feeling better about things. And she had called him and said, you know, please come celebrate with me. Come celebrate with so, me. And, and, her, and her husband was also cleared of any wrongdoing, correct? That is correct. Well, that's that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, you well, wanna you wanna get down to focus on who actually are the real are, are the correct. real suspects. I know. That's hey, right. I have sort of an unre well a related question to the whole thing, but um, to sort of get off off the track a little bit, I wanted to ask you, at, in your job, and your job is of being a youth minister, uh, mm-hmm. so you have the the very challenging job, and I'm sure rewarding job of, of shaping the minds of of youth and uh, sort of their spiritual growth and and doing uh, very good and and wholesome things. When you at, in your role um, and you work with young people, how do you do you get into explaining what happened? To your sister, and how do you explain to kids, and, and and what have they taught you about you know doing your job and somehow combining that with your mission to help Allison? That's a very interesting question. Uh, I use Allison's story all the time. If I um, I've given talks at retreats that I've used um, her story at um, anyone in my youth ministry program. Um, unless they're extremely new to the program, knows that my sister, I had a missing person, um, and that it was my sister, knows that she's an unsolved homicide, um, because I, I share her story. Um, and one of the things 
it's twofold kind of one I always bring up the organization because one of the things in our in our church and one of Catholic social teaching is um is is service. And so we do some projects connected um to missing persons and in fact Monica's even come a few years ago and spoke um at one of our nights um and told her story and the story of Q a little bit. Um but the other thing and this is the big thing, my my sister I'm a person of, of faith, and, and my sister, her life and how it ended was tragic. It's a terrible thing that happened to her, and, and it's heartbreaking. And for the longest time, I, I couldn't come to grips with what really the tragedy was. And I, and I remember standing at the site where she was recovered and just kind of being in prayer and asking God, and it, and it came to me, you know, the real tragedy of my sister's life, and I think a lot of people um, have this, is that she never really understood that she was loved and that she was worthy of being loved. And I think she had a lot of people come in and out of her life, you know, that when someone really did love her, she couldn't really accept it or handle it. That's one part of the equation. And the other part is that she really never thought she was worthy of God's love. And so for me, that's the greatest tragedy of her life and what I try to tell kids, you know, even locally in my town here, we we deal with kids who have um, tried to commit suicide or have committed suicide or who have issues and problems at home. And, And one of the things that I try to share through her story is there's so much good in you. You know, you're loved and you have to understand that you're loved and that you're worthy of being loved and you have to accept it. And so... That, for me, is really the story of Allison, and that's the greatest tragedy in her life, is that she never got that. And so, um, I, I, and I really believe that. And um, so, I think that could be a metaphor for many, <clears throat> many um, stories of homicide and missing persons, and it is yes. it's profound, and it's, it's, it's very true. So, I'm I'm so glad you are sharing that. And what 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 have you gotten from from the kids as a result of sharing that? Is there well, hope you know, in our youth? Yeah, you know what? Working in my job and with the teens that I work with every single day, I am extremely hopeful. Uh, teenagers today and young adults do not get enough credit for what they're capable of, and I have seen them take things on that you never would have thought they would have been able to. And, and if you share with them and you give them opportunity to do things, they jump on board because they want to make a difference. They really, really do. So one of the things we do in my church that I really wanted to get other churches and faiths involved in, it doesn't matter what denomination is, we do something in January every year called Project Prayer for the Missing. And we have a website, projectprayerforthemissing.com. Families, um, two families can sign up. And, and they ask for prayer, and they share their story. And one teen in our youth group is assigned a missing person in a family, and every day in the month of January, they pray specifically for that missing person and their needs. Um, and then in conjunction with that, every Sunday, after all our masses, we do something called Quarters for Q, where um, we collect um, spare change from the parishioners at our parish um, for the Q Center organization, and then all monies that are donated go directly to Q. Wow, that's great, too. Excellent. You know, um, it just, you know, it comes full circle, and I just wanted to know, it, I see that there are so many good youth. For as 
as many bad things as we hear about in the news and we see online, right. there are those those very, very good situations that never get reported. And that's why it's so important to bring these things out, Lisa, you know? Yeah. Um, I, we have about 15 minutes or so, and I, I do not – I mean, part of this show is we want to bring people up to date in terms of uh, – um, I don't know if you've had – you know, your patience has been tried. You've gone, you've jumped through all the hoops. You've you've contacted everyone that you need to contact. You've done your due diligence, but yet there are barriers standing in your way to get justice. Yeah. Um, with regard to the particular prosecutor or DA, I know you have your opinion as to what has happened, what is not happening. How would you like to frame that for our listeners? And what would you like to have happen? And what would you like to do personally at this juncture, Lisa, for your sister? Well, I'm going to be perfectly honest. The first thing is to say I would never want someone who is not responsible for what happened to my sister to, you know, to pay ultimately for something that they didn't do. And um with that being said, from the beginning, I believe this has been a very solvable case. I believe that a lot of needs and a lot of suspects have been gone through and looked at, and I believe there still remains one very strong suspect and really the only one, and that is, um, you know, Mr. Iannone. Um Regardless of anything, like I said, he's, he's, he is in jail for, for something else. Um, you know, so what I would like to see ultimately is I would like to, to see him charged with the crime and I would like to have my day in court. <laughs> um, you know, that's what I, that's what I would like to see. I understand that the case is a lot of circumstantial evidence because Angela and Allison laid on the ground for almost, you know, two years in Allison's case, a year in Angela's case, and any DNA evidence was, you know, completely destroyed. Um, but I believe that there's enough witnesses and there's enough evidence of other types to, to see this brought to trial. Um, I have, you know, one of the things that I've worked so hard on in these 10 years is keeping in contact uh, with everybody and even from afar. You know, I don't live in Wilmington. I live in New Jersey. I work. I have two children. I'm married. You know, I have my husband. Um, but I've worked very hard at this, and, and I've been patient. You know, when I've been asked not to do things, I haven't, I haven't done them. When I've needed to do things, I have done them. And I just, I don't know what the holdup is. I don't know why they're so afraid to move forward with the case. And the only thing that I can think of is that this DA, for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe doesn't want to prosecute unless he's definitely sure that he's going to get a conviction. Down in, in Wilmington, uh, district attorneys are elected. I don't know if it's something political and he, he uh, wants to get as many wins as possible so that he can um, go on to the next big thing in his political career. I don't know. Um, what, what has so, been your, your most recent conversation with them and your, and your impression you know, of, of late? You know, they're looking at the case. They're always looking at the case. Um, there's a few more things they want done. Um, and there's always a few more things <laughs> that they want done. Um, and I just, 
I don't know how much more there is really to do. And, you know, the longer you wait, the, the older the case gets. Um, people the more, more, more witnesses right. leave and aren't around. Uh, more people involved. You know, the bar isn't even the same name anymore. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is. All I know is that, you know, the case has been brought to Quantico and experts have looked at it there. It's gone through VICAP and experts have looked at it there. And most people seem to be um, in agreement. You know, and outside of a confession, which we've never gotten and I, I don't know that we ever would, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at. We're, I, I'm always hopeful, Donna and Delilah, that maybe there's some person out there still who hasn't told us everything that they know for whatever reason, and maybe that would be the piece that would set everything, you know, in motion. Do you get the sense that somebody is that somebody is fearful, like maybe some other patron from the bar, or in 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 that network of you know people that were in the uh, ladies of the evening trade or what have you? Um, is there? Do you feel like there's some other piece that could clinch this other than a confession, and that's what needs to be brought to the DA or? Uh, this is a winnable case in in your in your opinion, right? It is, it is, and again, I'm always very cautious. Um, I I want to see the right person brought to justice. I mean, uh, you know, he has always been a person of interest. There's been a lot of things that have gone on this case, including you know after Allison was originally recovered, and this was a whole other story. Going back to the site with my friend Peter and Monica after I picked up my sister's remains to bring them back home, you know, more bones being found on the same spot. You know, there's been things like that left every time, and it's someone who knew I was in town, you know, and I just, everything seems to point in one in one direction, and I just, um, I think all I've ever really wanted was to have the day in court and let, you know, let a jury decide. Let a jury decide. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's yeah. unfortunate that our justice system, and not just in Wilmington, but really, I hear yep. I hear reports of this all over the country that you know prosecutors don't want to take a case with circumstantial evidence that they know is not one hundred percent winnable, and right. it sucks. That's so unfair to victims. <laughs> it so is very unfair. unfair. It's unfair to hundreds and hundreds of people all over the country. Um, right. That they'll either accept a plea bargain or, you know, we've become a bargaining system rather than a justice yeah. system. And uh, somewhere along the line, this has got to change because we're there are too many flaws. And right. by by allowing someone like this to continue to be free within society, I understand he's in jail now. But how many other victims? I mean, I would venture to say there are so many. This is the tip of the iceberg for someone like I, this. I, right. Absolutely. Right. And, and how long is he going to remain incarcerated? You know, it's, he doesn't yeah, have do a life sentence. Is this, is this a probation I, violation and I, he gets I, out soon? I would, you know, I, I it's probably somewhere in my files I have written down when he's yeah. due to be released. But I, I would... I would say it's in the next year or two. 
um, mm-hmm. is what I would say. And, you know, the and, DA has been very, very honest with me. And he, he said to me, there's no statute of limitations as to when we can bring someone to trial. That's, you know, kind of been his response to me. Um, so, but yeah, but you hope you live long enough to see that day. Right. right. Uh, and I mean, you know it's, what? the buck gets you know how long? passed and passed. Right. Mm-hmm. The one thing my father had said over these 10 years was, you know, I hope before I close my eyes for one last time that I get to see justice for my daughter. And, you know, unfortunately, he didn't get to have his day in court, but I promised him, you know, that whatever it takes, and for as long as I'm here, you know, I will see this through to its end as best as I can. Mm-hmm. So. How long were the um, periods in terms of uh, DAs ser- serving there when they get elected? Is it like a a four, six, eight-year term? I don't know if it's four or six, but this is like the third or second or third time that he's been reelected. No oh boy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that doesn't really bode, bode well. Is there uh, – tell um, – and the importance of having somebody outside, is this detective that you're very pleased with? Was this an independent person that was not affiliated with the Wilmington police that you've always had that has no, been no, very no. helpful? He's no? a homicide detective, and originally he, he was okay. on Angela Rothen's case originally, the other mm-hmm. young woman who was – found next to Allison and so through the years what ended up happening is um, when the last uh, detective was kind of removed and left Wilmington uh, PD Lee was given both cases and so and he's a very thorough investigator he's he's a good man he really cares and um, you know this is on the case with you he's still on the case and um, you know doing what's asked of him you know, I I really he's he's done a very good job, and I can't I can't really complain about him at all. So, well, he cares. You, you know, he cares. Well, that's that's half the battle. If they care and they get invested, what do you feel like? Is there is there recourse for you and your family, Lisa, in this situation as it stands now? Well, I guess what would be my recourse, the, I think the only recourse that I would really have is unless I continue to be patient and maybe try to put some pressure on the DA, the only other uh, recourse I have, what I guess would be a civil suit, <laughs> you know, right, much like the Goldmans did with OJ, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not really prepared to take that on right now. I mean, time will tell what happens. Um, I continue to try to be patient, hoping that, something will come up within these next couple of months, and eventually I guess I'll have a decision um, to make as to what my next move is going to do is going to be, and uh, I'll be ready to do whatever that is. I, I, I just, I'm waiting now. I'm, I'm kind of being a little patient, wait again, again, uh, waiting to see what's going to happen, and I, and I think what's going to happen with me eventually is I'm just going to get tired of waiting and doing what I'm told, which I'm already I, I am already pretty done with that. You're overdue. So mm-hmm. I'll continue, and and then I'll just do whatever I, it is that I that I need to do. If I need to come down there and make a stink, if I need to, um, you know, call people out, then then I'll do it. You know, and and that's the thing. In ten years of this, I have never done that. I I have always tried to abide by the rules, play correctly, 
and, right. uh, you know, go up the chain of command and do everything the right way, even though myself and my family were denied that many times. So um, you're, you're a team player, but sometimes you have to go above those that are in charge and, and do what you need to do. So, you know, we commend you for your courage and thank you. and, and for doing that. And, and I would ask if there's something that we can do by listening to this show, I mean, we what can we do, Lisa? We can... We can contri- contribute to your GoFundMe. We can pass this show along and say, listen listen to this. This, this is the case. Um, right. what, what else can we do? I would think all those things, you know, pass the show around, share Allison's story. And, you know, one, one thing, too, and I, I always say this, you know, when you talk about donating to Q Center, you know, that's so important. You know, as frustrated as I am and as difficult as this 10 years has been, you know, I know what happened to my sister. We were able to bring her home. We were able to give her children answers. You know, there's so many people out there for 10 years, 15 years, who still live in that limbo of the unknown and don't know where their missing loved one is. And that's why organizations like Q are so important. So if you can give a dollar, $5, if you want to donate it in Allison's name or in the name of somebody else, you know, it's so key and important that, like Delilah said at the beginning, that we're able to fund this organization so that they have the resources to continue to do for so many families what they did for my family and continue to do. Right. And is there a way that when when this case is put to rest, how how, how do you intend to memorialize your, your sister to carry on her name and her life? Do you have something planned for the future? You know, I, I think one of the things that I, I'll always do, and I and I haven't long-term like that given it a, a ton of thought. I mean, one of the things that I try to do daily to honor Allison is to be involved, you know, with Q Center, to be a state outreach coordinator, to uh, to do whatever I help can others. to help other families in, in Allison's name, really, in Allison's name, um, just well, because I, I know how important that is. Yeah. Well, I just have to say that really and truly, Allison has left such a legacy for all of the people who are familiar with her case and for all the people who have come in contact with you and your children. Um, Something's coming through here. And I think it's the old adage when something bad happens, something good comes out of it. And you've, you've really, really gone the extra mile to make sure that that happens. So I, well, I, I truly believe yes, that indeed. she would be super proud of you. Well, I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I do. And I agree with you and that old adage. And, you know, throughout this journey, there have been many graces disguised and I'm always thankful for all of that, you know, a life-changing event that really changed my life and the life of so many. But there has there has been good that is that has come of it. But if I could change it, of course, I would take my sister back. But um, well, I, I think we all would. But but yeah. so, so for those that are listening, please do listen to the show. And Lisa, as events un- unfold and you feel that they're significant, you have an open invitation to come on this show again uh, for the benefit oh, of, of Allison and for others, okay? So I think with that, unfortunately, we have to close out this edition to Shattered Lives. It's been a wonderful hour. I hope we have painted a, a, a sufficient picture 
for you, and please do circulate it. So thank you very much, Lisa. Let's stay in touch. Um, Delilah, thank you again. And um, so everyone have a a, a wonderful, rewarding uh, weekend. Be sure to support all of Q's events, and we'll say uh, good day for this edition of Shattered Lives Radio. Until next week. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Delilah. Thank you for all that you do for others.